What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods, and it's our first episode of our SEC of 30 Days. And we usually save the best for last, but I decided we're going to kick it off with the best. Just personal opinion here. We have the voice of the Auburn Tigers, co-host of Tiger Talk, host of Auburn Tigers Today, and host of the Talking Tigers podcast. Andy Bertram is with us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show. Zach, it's my pleasure uh, to talk to uh, an Auburn alum, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to some some Auburn footballer for the next few moments. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have to start with last year. A lot happened for Auburn last year, not only with COVID, which affected every program around the country. They finished 6-5. and five. Gus Malzahn let go after the final game of the year, but three of those five losses, people forget, were the top ten teams, all of which were in the top five at one point in the season. It just comes with the territory of playing in the SEC uh, West. But for you, just based on on-field performance, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? You know, I really didn't know exactly what to expect out of last season, Zach, and, and here's the reason. For the good portion of last summer, we didn't even know if there would be a season. You'll recall a year ago, there was a lot of speculation. Should there be football? Should there be athletics? Would there be athletics? I thought the Southeastern Conference did as good a job as any school or any conference out there of putting together a conference schedule. And it made it a very, very tough schedule. I mean, it was it was SEC weekend and week out for, for Auburn. And as you mentioned, Auburn plays in the toughest division in the country in the SEC West. And when you have the likes of Alabama and Texas A&M and LSU and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas on your schedule year in and year out, and then, oh, by the way, the team that's always on your schedule from the SEC East is Georgia, that makes it very, very tough. So I knew it was going to be a tough season. Really didn't know what to expect out of the season uh, for, for Auburn a year ago and got off to a good start with the win against Kentucky. Uh, and I thought Auburn played well in some games and finished the season with a big win on the road at Mississippi State. Now, I'll be honest, when the announcement came that Gus Malzahn was being let go, it surprised me a bit in the in the timing of it, how quickly. I mean, it, remember, it happened one day after the regular season ended. So that one caught me off guard a little bit. And, you know, there, there had been speculation all, all season long that, that this might be the last year for Gus Malzahn. So I, w- I would say that, that, that Auburn's season was an okay season. It was not a great season. And it was really not an Auburn standard season. But, again, it was a season where Auburn was playing, you know, and, and you know, you, Auburn had road games at South Carolina and Georgia, which the Tigers both lost both of those ball games, came back at home and, and beat LSU and beat them pretty soundly, but then could not close the season very well with those losses to Alabama and Texas A&M. So it was an up-and-down season, you know, a season where we did not see big crowds anywhere uh, in the Southeastern Conference. And, Zach, you and I were, were talking before this started. I think we're all looking forward to, to seeing – the crowds again. And from all indication, Auburn will get a, a big test in that third week of the season when Auburn goes to Penn State and there's expected to be 109,000 at Happy Valley. So 
looking forward to, to getting to do a football game there in the third week of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. The Malzahn announcement, like you said, came out of nowhere. There's, there was rumors, but uh, even as a diehard Auburn guy covering the team, I mean, I, I didn't see it happen, especially after a win. That's very unusual to happen after a big win like that. But, you know, on the field, there was a lot of positives. The breakout star of the year, for me at least, was Tank Bigsby, SEC freshman of the year, over 800 yards rushing as a true freshman, no spring practices, no summer workouts. This kid came in straight from high school and put on a show. A lot of people are saying he has he has the ability to be one of the all-time greats at Auburn at running back. What makes him for you such a dominant running back, and what are your expectations for Tank moving forward? Well, expectations are that he'll have a better sophomore season than a freshman season. And that's going to say a lot about, about what Tank did a year ago. Listen, he was a highly thought of prospect coming in. Everybody wanted Tank Bigsby to play for them. And he probably had the opportunity, if he had wanted, with the coaching change, to go somewhere else. And he chose to come back to Auburn. And Auburn fans are happy, thrilled that he did. Um, Auburn's got to keep him healthy through a sophomore season. And, and I think if, if they do, and Auburn improves its offensive line, which I think Auburn will do, then we'll see another year even better out of Tank Bigsby in his sophomore season. He plays uh, very matured. He is a very good running back with good speed. He doesn't go down on the first hit. He has the ability to make people miss. He also has the ability to run over someone. Um, a lot of people say that he, they rem, he reminds them of the guy that coaches him at Auburn in Carnell Williams, Cadillac Williams. And that, that's some pretty high praise considering what, what Carnell did in his Auburn career. And he will be the featured back. There's no question about that in the 2021 season. And he will be playing for a coach that wants to run the football and run it with authority in Brian Harson, So I think all all points indicate that, that Tanks Bigsby will have a big sophomore season at Auburn. He will certainly have the opportunity to. He has gone through spring practice, as you mentioned. He will go through the summer workouts, Auburn bringing its athletes back, as a matter of fact, on June 1st, and will go through a full summer workouts session. Brian Harson has told me he feels the summer workouts are as important or even more important than spring practice. Spring practice was kind of an opportunity to get to know each other. Uh, Auburn didn't have spring practice a year ago. So this was a very important spring for this team. But he feels that this summer workouts are where you get to, to know the, the guys that are on this team. And then they, they get ready, of course, for the preseason workouts in August. And I, I look forward to seeing what, what Tank Bigsby brings to Auburn for his sophomore season. Absolutely. I mean, he just has that for me, that ability that every player on the field has like like him has that it factor that you can't really put your finger on exactly what makes him that X factor type guy. He just flashes every time I turn on an Auburn game. But I want to move to the most important position on the field, quarterback. Bo Nix has been the guy since he was a true freshman, came in in 2019, had that amazing last second win against Oregon down in Dallas. But he's been one of the most highly criticized quarterbacks in the country by media, by some fans, ever, to, to say the least. And now T.J. Finley arrives on the Plains, I believe, this week, this weekend. He comes to the Plains. 
do you this is kind of a two-parter one why do you think Knicks is so heavily criticized by fans and media and two is there a QB competition on the planes between Finley and Knicks well let's let's take it one question at a time all right um I think the the reason that that Bo Nix is criticized by some and praised by others is because he's the starting quarterback at Auburn and I'm not sure there's ever been a quarterback that has not been perhaps over criticized or too hyped um, at at Auburn. I think the fact that he that he is the son of a former Auburn quarterback adds a little bit of pressure a a successful Auburn quarterback in Patrick Nix who's now a, a head coach uh, nearby at Central Phoenix City and has done a great job in, in his high school career. So I think all of that adds, and the fact that he has been a starting quarterback since his freshman season at Auburn, and he's had some outstanding games. You talked about the Oregon game that he had, the Alabama game that he had as a freshman. The, I, I think about the two games that he had last year at Ole Miss and Mississippi State with two big touchdown passes in both of those games to lead Auburn to victories on the road. And then there have been times where he's come up a bit short in his career. I think the, the one thing that, that, that folks want more than anything else from Bo Nix is consistency. Uh, instead of all of the highs and all of the lows, make it consistent games, game in and game out. Now listen, he will be playing for his third offensive coordinator in three years. He will be playing for his second head coach in three years. But he's also playing for a head coach in Brian Harson. And I was just talking with the play-by-play man at Boise State uh, this week, Bob Beeler. And one of the things he told me, and I hope this is true, he said, I will be surprised if you come at the end of this season and tell me that Bo Nix is not a better quarterback in his first year under both Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach and Brian Harson who's the head coach and, of course, a former quarterback and a former offensive coordinator in his career as well. He believes that, that Bo Nix will, will be better as a starting quarterback at Auburn. All right, so all of that said, yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit more competition this year uh, on, the, on the planes, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's good even for a guy that has been a starter for two years. So regardless of who it is, I think competition makes you a better player. I will be surprised if Bo Nix doesn't relish the competition. In, in talking with him and knowing him just a little bit, I don't think he's going to shy away from competition, whether it's in during the, during the summer workouts or when preseason workouts begin or when he's playing against somebody else this season. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. There is more quarterback. There is more competition at quarterback this season, perhaps, than he's had in his three years, his first now three years at, at Auburn. He has the ability. He has all of the tools needed. He's a very good runner. Uh, he has a very good arm. He comes from a quarterback family. He comes from a football family. He comes from a coaching family. Uh, I think he has all of the tools needed to be an outstanding quarterback at, at Auburn, and I'll be very interested to see how well he progresses for this, his third and junior year at Auburn. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not even going to sit here and put on a front. I have been critical about uh, from about Bo Nix, especially on this podcast at times. The South Carolina game, not one of my highest moments. I was upset after that game, to be completely honest. But I think T.J. Finley, 
even if he doesn't start this year, is going to be a great quarterback for Auburn in the future. And then you also have uh, Demetrius Davis sitting there as a true freshman who I also think has a super, super high ceiling. So the quarterback position is one, I think, set for a few years now here at Auburn. But we have to move to the head coach. You've mentioned him a few times. Brian Harson comes in to replace Malzahn this year. He has three Mountain West championships. Funny fact for people who aren't Auburn fans, this is his second time replacing Gus Malzahn. He was the head coach at Arkansas State after Malzahn left Arkansas State to come to Auburn. So kind of uh, just a funny fact there. But for you, what made Harson the guy for the Auburn Tigers? And what are your personal expectations for what he's going to bring to this program? You know, you'd have to ask the, the athletic director, Alan Green, what, what interested him about Brian Harson initially. They apparently had met long ago and got to know each other. And I think just from a personal standpoint, from a character standpoint, Alan Green was impressed with Brian Harson. What he has done at his alma mater, Boise State, what he did at Arkansas State in his first year as a head coach, what he did as the offensive coordinator at Texas uh, before that, I think impressed the Auburn athletic director. I think he impressed the search committee that was put together talking just schemes and strategies, uh, what what impressed them just about his personality. And it's a different personality than, than Gus Malzahn. And I got along well with Gus. Hopefully I'll get along very well with, uh, with Coach Harson. And I've had just a couple opportunities to be with him in person. Done a lot of things through, uh, through Zoom and, and other platforms uh, through the year. But we're finally... Now, as, as COVID is starting to, to fade a bit, we're finally able to, to get around his Coach Harson and his staff and get to know them a little bit. But listen, it all comes down to what happens on the field for Auburn this fall. I have asked some former Auburn players, really good Auburn players, who does his demeanor remind them of? And for those guys that played for Pat Dye, that is the answer. And if he is that type of person from a character standpoint, and from all indication he is, if he's that kind of person from a hardworking standpoint, and from all indications he is, um, then I think Auburn fans are going to be very, very pleased with Brian Harson. How much success Auburn has initially, don't know at this point. There, are, you know, the transfer portal is a very fluid thing. And Auburn, like many teams, are trying to take advantage of that transfer portal and bringing players in that can help them immediately. And on June 1st, of course, they can bring players to campus for the first time since March of 2020. And for for Auburn people, Zach, you're one of these guys, you know what it's like to bring someone to this campus, to bring someone to this community. And it's not just for football. It's that way for basketball, baseball, women's basketball, soccer. doesn't matter what sport. You bring them to this campus, and you can impress someone with the Auburn family. And until June 1st, Auburn folks have been able to do that. They've had to do everything virtually. Now they can finally bring people to this campus, show them what this campus is about, show them what the Auburn family is about. And, uh, and I think Brian Harson and his staff have been tirelessly working to get ready for this time and will continue to work very, very hard. Everything I can tell is that this group will not be outworked at all by anybody. Uh, and I think that's a great start for this Auburn football program. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, bringing kids to campus. That's way different. I think there's a few campuses around the country where it's really hard to virtually recruit because for Auburn, until you get on campus, you, like you say, you don't feel it. It's it's completely different seeing it in a brochure or on a slide. But when I took my first visit to Auburn, just as a normal student, I was considering going to other schools, even though I was raised an Auburn guy. But getting on the campus, I just remember leaving my visit and was like, yeah, we can just wrap it up. We can just cancel the other school visits. This is <laughs> where I'm going to go. But, you know, you mentioned recruiting. It, June 1st, today as we're recording, players are headed to Auburn to start official visits. This past recruiting cycle, though, Harson and the staff did a great job. They signed a top 20 class, even though – the head coaching change was right around early signing day. I mean, it was impossible to, you know, do any better than they've done. Headlined by two top 100 prospects in Lee Hunter and then flipping Dylan Brooks from Tennessee after what happened at that program, along with, you mentioned, a recent domination of the transfer portal, seven incoming transfers, including TJ Finley we talked about earlier. What were the biggest positional needs for you for Auburn in this class, and who are some guys you're looking at as instant impact guys? Well, I think defensive line is is one of the areas that that, that Auburn went after in the transfer portal, and Auburn continues to look at the transfer portal. I mean, Auburn has helped itself in the defensive backfield, especially at cornerback. They've helped themselves up front defensively. I think they continue to look at the offensive line, and I think if, if you're an Auburn fan, you know that Auburn has to get better up front from an offensive standpoint. Auburn brings in a quarterback that will, will provide some, some competition there. Um, I, I think Auburn could still probably help itself at the wide receiver spot, getting a, an experienced wide receiver in with a good group of young receivers. But you need some maturity there, some guys that, that have been through the wards. Uh, week in and week out. So I think that those are areas that Auburn will continue to look at. Um, and we'll, we'll just, we'll just have to wait and see how all of this comes together. I mean, this is a new age with the transfer portal of, of players that are allowed for one year to transfer without having to sit out. And, um, you know, we're still waiting to, to find out for sure in the Southeastern Conference if that will be allowed. If you're transferring from one SEC school to another, will you be allowed to immediately play? That word is still out, or that decision is still out at, at this point. So that'll be very interesting to see uh, how, how that comes together. But, you know, those areas, I think, secondary, defensive line, offensive line, perhaps the wide receiver spot are areas that Auburn, I think, has worked on and continues to work on from the transfer portal and, oh, by the way, those guys that will be coming in as freshmen in years to come as well. And listen, Brian Harson was signed, was brought into Auburn after the initial signing period. Uh, and I think did a terrific job with what he had to work with. And that second signing period in February became even more important for Auburn than it typically was now that that, that first signing period takes place in early December. Right. And I think with that early signing period, you see so many schools struggle with that, especially colleges and programs that have to have a head coaching change. You saw Kansas have to do a coaching change in the middle of two months of March. I, I couldn't imagine coming into a program. You miss both signing days. You don't even get a spring practice. So we, we see that becoming more and more of a problem. But we saw Tank Bigsby last year. We've seen, we saw Bo Nix in 2019. We've seen Seth Williams. 
Auburn always has those few guys that just break out, have their huge years. I mean, you even can look at someone like Zacoby McClain. If coming into this season, who are some players you have your eye on as potential breakout players for this 2021 team? Couple different guys, and and I, I'm going to start at the at the uh, wide receiver spot. Elijah Canyon is a guy I think that 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 has. I mean, he's six four, two fourteen. Will probably be bigger by the time this season rolls around for Auburn. Xavier Capers, who we did not see during the uh, the spring, but started to emerge for Auburn a year ago. There's another guy at six foot four, a big wide receiver, Javarius Johnson, a guy that, that classified for Auburn a couple of years ago, not quite as big. He's about five foot nine. Um, I, I, I look for those guys, uh, Malcolm Johnson Jr. Are, those are some, some of the young guys that I think Auburn will hopefully look to, to take a big step forward for the Tigers from an offensive standpoint. Here's a guy to look for, I think, on at, at tight end, and I do think and I know Auburn fans have heard this for many, many years. I think the tight end spot will become more important for Auburn as a receiving spot. Matter of fact, the first play at the A-Day game was a pass to the tight end. We saw Auburn throw to the tight end more in the, the A-Day game than, than we've seen in a long, long time. I thought of the guys this past year, and remember, John Samuel Schenker was playing baseball at the time. But I thought Luke Deal made a big move for Auburn at the tight end of spot. Uh, really kind of emerged there, and it probably helped that J.J. Pegues, who was such a fan favorite a year ago, was making the move to the defensive line. So he wasn't there as a tight end for Auburn. But I thought Luke had a good year, a good spring for Auburn, and a guy that kind of emerged there. So those are some guys from an offensive standpoint. I think Auburn's defensively will be very, very good at the, at the linebacker spot. I mean, Owen Papo and Jacoby McLean put up astronomical numbers a year ago at the linebacker spot. Auburn has to get better depth there uh, to, to back up these guys and to perhaps give them a, a, a spell or two of a play or two. I mean, there were, there were a couple games last year. Jacoby McLean played every defensive snap, every defensive snap and did it at that high level. Uh, I think Auburn's got to get a little more depth at the, at the linebacker spot. So that's an opportunity for guys on the defensive side of the ball to kind of emerge there as well. Right. And, I mean, with the new head coach, like we've mentioned, you, with, with new schemes, new offensive, defensive coordinators, who knows who's going to get some playing opportunities that might not have got it in previous years. But I want to look ahead to the schedule. It, the SEC West life with a with a cross rival of Georgia is always on the docket. So you have those LSU, Georgia, Texas Stadium, Alabama on the schedule. But you also mentioned earlier a road matchup with Penn State in one of the most hostile environments in the country. Going to be six thirty ABC week three in primetime. So with all this laid out, new head coach, quarterback competition, everything we talked about so far. What is the ceiling and or floor for this 2021 Auburn team, in your opinion? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for you, Zach. I mean, uh, you, you look, I mean, Auburn has two games to get ready for that game at, at Penn State. And I think the Akron and the Alabama State games, and listen, I understand that's not mar- marquee matchups, but they're home games. And it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to get better before you go to Happy Valley in front of a packed house there in 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 state college in front i think it's going to be the whiteout game so you've got all the hype that goes into that ball game and it's your first road game 
with this new coaching staff and this brand new team. So I think Akron and Alabama State are vitally important just for development. And then you come back home and you get Georgia State in what could be a dangerous sandwich game. You're coming off of your first road game at Penn State. And then you start the SEC, by the way, the next week at LSU. So you've got your first four games are all non-conference. And then everything else the rest of the year is conference games. I mean, it's just like last year's schedule all over again. And you're going to LSU where you have not won since 1999. I did that game in 1999 with Stan White underneath the scoreboard in the south end zone at LSU. That scoreboard isn't even there. They've added another deck to that south end zone. That's how long it's been since Auburn has won uh, uh, at LSU. So those first five weeks are very, very important, including that big game at Penn State, and then you open the year, oh, by the way, in a place where you haven't once. And none of these guys, none of these guys were were alive when Auburn won a game the last time in Baton Rouge. So it's going to be very, very interesting to be sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've already taken off work, got my time approved. I'm going to Pennsylvania for that Penn State game. I'm so pumped for it. I'll be there. It'll be my first Auburn game since we couldn't go last year. I'm absolutely excited. But, yeah, I was two in 19 uh, – that – when the LSU game was played in 1999. So I don't even remember I guess it, there, so. there could be a couple guys on this roster that were two or three, but not very <laughs> old the last that, that Auburn won down in, uh, in Baton Rouge. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere um, at State College just to see in person what it's like in another conference, you know, another hotbed for college football, the state of Pennsylvania. You think about all of the, the great quarterbacks that have come out of the state of Pennsylvania and the history of that program there. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to my, I've, I've been to, to Penn state for basketball. I've never been there for football. I'm looking forward to my first trip there. So we'll, we'll see each other during that, that third week uh, of the season, right? Yep, absolutely. I'll definitely be reaching out, but these last two questions are more just about, you know, Auburn, your career. So, you know, the Auburn family probably understands the gravity of this question, but we started this whole theme. You know, we've done the ACC, we've done Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. I've tried to incorporate a little bit of each school in each interview so we can kind of get it out to our listeners. But, you know, I want to get this out to the rest of our country, rest of the country, our listeners. You know, you're taking over for Rob Bramlett tragically taken from us in 2019 this a legendary voice of the Auburn Tigers I grew up listening to him just being an Auburn fan what can you kind of talk about what he mean means to the Auburn community and what it was like working with him for the Auburn network for so many years well Rod and I traveled together for 25 years doing Auburn baseball together now that you spend a lot of time in an SUV and in hotel rooms driving all around the Southeastern Conference you're going to get to know that person very well. And you're either going to really like them or you're not going to like them. And Ron and I became very good friends in, the, in those 25 years of traveling together and, and going through the great highs of wins on the road and tough losses. You, you get to know someone. And Rod and Paula and my wife, Jan, and I became very good friends. Um, and many times we would get together for meals and we didn't talk much sports at that point. We talked about families, uh, their kids, Shelby and Joshua. And we talked about 
just just life in general. And so taking over for Rod, who took over for Jim Fife? I mean, Rod went through the same ordeal as well, taking over for a legend in Jim Fife. You talked about, Zach, how you grew up listening to Rod. There's a lot of people that grew up listening to Jim. And I think you 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 become synonymous with the teams that you call. And for Jim Fife, it was the 80s. It was the emergence of Auburn football as a power again. And, and as you and I talk, it's the one-year anniversary of Coach Dye's passing. Um, and then for Rod, I mean, he's known for the call of the David Ross home run in 1997 down at Florida State that, that helped propel Auburn to a College World Series. He's known for Go Crazy Cadillac, Go Crazy, in his first year, 2003. He's known, of course, for the iconic calls of, of Georgia in 2013, followed by two weeks later, the, the Alabama call and the kick six. He's known for, for calling the West Byram field goal that wins Auburn a national championship, Auburn's first in football since 1957. He's known all that sent Auburn to its very first Final Four in his last season at Auburn. So he became synonymous with those calls. I also knew Rod away from the microphone, so to speak. And I knew what kind of a family man he was, how much of a leader he was at the Auburn Sports Network, um, how he cared for people. And he cared for people that didn't matter who they were, whether it was a superstar or whether it was just someone at, at work that he dealt with. It didn't matter to Rod. And those are those are the impacts that probably had had more of an impact on me than those outstanding calls. And that's not to take away anything from those calls. He'll be known forever for the kick six and the miracle at Jordan Hare. Now, that will never, ever go away. Uh, but I, I also knew Rod away from the microphone and considered he and Paula very, very good friends. Uh, absolutely. So, absolutely. So much so, so much so that, that my wife and I, who have, were, have never been parents, are now the guardians for their son, Joshua, who is 17 years old, just finished his junior year at Auburn High School. So we're, we're learning together, the three of us, plus two dogs, what it's like to be a, a family in a very, very tough situation. So, and, and listen, we, we think about Rod and Paula every day because their son lives with us every day. Right. Yeah. And they know uh, that's an amazing story. I'm just glad you got to share that to our listeners. I don't know if anyone, you know, a lot of people outside of the SEC Auburn community understand the gravity of that. So I definitely appreciate that. But, you know, I, I always like to end my interview with this question. And usually I'm asking because, you know, interviewing people from the Pac-12, I haven't had a chance to go to any Pac-12 stadiums, but I know the answer to this. And it could be a 15, 30 minute answer and so I'm going to ask you here, what makes Auburn, Tumor's Corner, Jordan-Hare Stadium such a unique environment on game days? That's a great question. And, and let, me, let, me, let me take you back to the first Auburn game that I ever came to. And I moved from Southern Illinois to Auburn in September of 1988. And I came from an area where basketball is king. Football is important, but basketball, especially high school basketball, is the king there and still is to this very day. The largest stadium I'd ever been in until I 
set foot in Jordan-Hare Stadium was Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Grew up and still are a Cardinal, St. Louis Cardinals fan, which was about 50,000 state or 50,000 at the time, and it's a little bit smaller at the new Bush Stadium. So I am, I am about to go to my very first Auburn football game. It's September of 1988. It's Auburn, Tennessee. And this was when Tennessee was on Auburn's schedule. Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida were on Auburn's schedule every year. And I was going to walk into the stadium for the first time in, in my life and into a big-time SEC stadium. And what immediately struck me that day, not knowing, not being, not being ready for anything, was how much of an event game day is at Auburn. And I'm not going to tell you that it's not a big deal anywhere else in the league. I'm sure it is. But, but this, is where, this is where I am and the tailgating that was going on. And Carl Stevens, the legendary PA announcer for Auburn at the time, making that announcement about one hour to kick off at Jordan-Hare Stadium. I just thought, I mean, it gave me chills hearing that for the very first time. And then to see 88,000 in the stands with their, their orange and blue shakers and watching that Auburn football team that was going to go on and win an SEC championship that year and playing that first game and just the electricity of the of the ballpark that day. That was the first game that I was ever at. And I've been blessed to be a part of this football program at Auburn at, on, on game day as a broadcaster in various capacities since 1990. And for me to step into that role as someone that follows Rod and Jim Fife and Paul Ellen and Gary Sanders and all of the, the men before that. Um, it, there are times where I have trouble putting into words what that means to me. And to get an opportunity then in the winter to step into Auburn Arena and call those games that Bruce Pearl is coaching and then to then move from that to baseball that I've been a part of now for 27 years and watch what Butch Thompson has done with this program and to be a part of that program. Um, in spite of the, the way that I've become the play-by-play voice for Auburn, um, it is something that I will never, ever take for granted. It is something that I've wanted to do since I was a six-year-old and listen to Harry Carey and Jack Buck call St. Louis Cardinal games and Dan Kelly call the St. Louis Blues. It's what I've known that I wanted to do since that time. It's the only thing I've ever done in my career. Uh, through calling games at Indiana State and Illinois State and SIU Carbondale and Carbondale High School and now coming to Auburn in 1988. I've been incredibly blessed to be a part of this program, and uh, I look forward to the start of the 2021 season and seeing 88,000 again at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I know where to find you because I'm that I'm that Auburn fan, which I'm sure people tell you all the time. I'd, I'd rather mute the TV and listen to the Auburn broadcast while watching when I can't be at the games. But where can our listeners find your calls? Where can they find the podcast, everything you do for Auburn sports and football? The best way to start is AuburnTigers.com. It's the official athletics website. All of our broadcasts are there. Uh, the podcast, the Talking Tigers podcast, mentioned earlier, Coach Die. This week's podcast 
is um, it, we, we start on Audio Boom. You can go there. Uh, the Talking Tigers podcast, look it up there. This week's is a retrospective of, of Coach Dye's career. And in 2018, Rod Bramblett and I sat down with Coach Dye in our studios. Uh, our studios is in, are, are in, is in, Beard Eves Coliseum, the old basketball arena here. And Coach Dye talked about his childhood. He talked about his high school playing days, his his college playing days at Georgia, starting his career as a coach at Alabama, coming back to the South from Wyoming, and and to do what what he had what he did at Auburn. And the fact that neither Coach Dye or Rod are here now makes that interview even more poignant. And he's very honest in this interview. But that that is the one that is currently running right now. Um, There is an Auburn Tigers app that you can download and listen to broadcasts. TuneIn Radio is is where that you can listen to the broadcast and and are over 40 affiliates um, in the South, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida. We even have an affiliate in Arkansas that, that picks up some of our broadcasts as well. So those are the places that you can find us. I'm on Twitter, abertram04. I get the question, why is it 04? Because I married my wife in 2004. So that's the 04 of, uh, of my Twitter feed, and we'll promote different broadcasts and that through the, the Twitter feed as well. And AU Sports wow. Network, at AU Sports Network is, is our, uh, our Twitter, hand, Twitter handle for the Auburn Sports Network. Uh, absolutely absolutely so guys make sure to go check out andy everything auburn football y'all already know i am i say it every time to go check out a school i've told y'all plenty of times to go check out auburn football if you listen to the podcast but man this kicks off our sec in 30 days y'all know where to find us all podcast streaming platforms youtube subscribe now to in- to enter our giveaway man we will be back later this week with uh, Mississippi State. That'll be the next episode in this line of things. And also make sure to go check me out. Recently uh, got a contributor role for Fly War Eagle, so we're covering all things Auburn football there. So you can go check me out on that website, flywareagle.com. But for Andy, myself, and the Blue Bloods, guys, we are out for now. 